Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. And again, I just want to uh, let you know, uh, if you're interested in attending Perspectives this year, uh, a course that really will change the way you view God, view what he's doing in the world today, and how you can be connected into that, make sure you stop by. We have got people over at the Involvement Center on the right-hand side on your way out. Talk to them. Get a brochure, find out more, and ask questions, and they can inform, inform you. We've provided this every year for the past several years. And uh, hundreds of people from our church have gone to it and have been blessed by it. And it's changed and it's fueled the mission movement inside and outside of Fellowship Bible Church. I hope you'll be involved with it. Unlike the other years, it, which, which is typically Monday evenings, it's on Sunday evenings this year. So make note of that as you consider it. Hey, I'm glad you're here with us as we continue in our series and the book of Colossians. This morning we're in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles... I'll open up to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be starting with verse 1. Up to this point, we've been talking about setting our lives on the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that is to be personalized in each of our lives. We all have a choice to believe this and to receive the work of Christ in our lives. And it's focused on a person, not just a principle, a person, and that that is Jesus Christ. No other book talks about the person, the identity, and the work of Jesus more then the book of Colossians. Last week we talked about setting our lives on an authentic Christ and setting our lives on him that is, is principled. And it's principled in the simple truth that Jesus Christ is enough. When you have Jesus, you have enough. Now the church in Colossae was being presented once they had the gospel with other alternatives that they needed to add to Jesus. And religion does that. It adds a lot of rules and regulations and rituals if we're not careful. And that's why Paul says, no, the authentic Jesus is Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. And so he calls us into that group of people who focus and have set their lives on Christ. Let's pick up now in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's just pause here, and I think there's two things uh, about an authentic life. Number one, it's, it's practical. It's practical. An authentic life with Christ is practical. Now think about that word. The word practical literally has the word practice in it. And what are practice? Well, if you're a coach, you know what I'm talking about. It's repeatable daily patterns that are all aimed in building up a skill level so that you have, you have the capacity to meet the demands of reality. Practices are not something you can do by just choosing one hour out of your week to be here. Practices are something you must do every day, and it's a daily expression of our faith. A lot of people look at going to church as just checking the box. I did that, done, now I can move on with my life. But the, a life with Christ is literally a picture of every day. Every moment of your day, that's, that's a, a repeating an expression of your faith. And Paul is saying, if you've received Christ, then practically every day, seek Christ 
and set your life on Christ. Let's talk about that first one, seeking Christ. That's a daily practice that we're to be involved in. He says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Earlier, he said that we've been freed from religious requirements, religious regulations, religious rituals, and we've been set free. And so don't seek apart from Christ. You don't need anything apart from Christ. You know, Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Jews demand signs, Greek de- Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Folks, Paul is saying the search is over when you have Jesus. You found Christ, so seek him daily. Seek the things that are above. Hold fast to Christ. He's your source. He's your center. He's the sustainer of all of life. And once you seek Christ, once you know about him, set your life on him. That's the second thing we're called to. It's a practical daily thing of setting our lives on Christ. It means obeying him. It means following him. It means living the character of Christ. Now, what this also means is that your thoughts, your thoughts are set on Christ. You're thinking more about Jesus than you even are about yourself. It's about your plans. It's about your actions. It's even about the results that you're praying for. And Paul is saying what's above. Christ is there. The risen, resurrected, living Christ is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God above all rulers and all authorities. He's the victorious one over all powers and principalities that would have kept you out, kept you alone, kept you uh, without God, without hope in this world. And Christ has restored you back to God. You're not alone anymore. You're not isolated. It's not up to you to save yourself. It's only because of the work of Christ. And you seek that above. You even pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying for literally the kingdom of God to be be lived out through your life. And you calibrate your life having set your life on Christ. You calibrate your life around Christ. Those two things, think about those with me real quick. Seeking Christ, setting your mind on Christ. How are you doing with those two practices in your day? Because so many times it's easy just to have the experience of your faith be just what happens in this room. And really what God is calling us is every day, seek me. And when you find me each day in the word, set your life on me. But, you know, that's why I think the, it, the power of going through our journal is so powerful in all, all of our lives. Because we seek the Lord in the scriptures each day. We read and we reflect and we pray the scriptures in our lives. If you're here and you've not received an, a journal, make sure you stop out at our, our welcome center there and get a, a journal that, that you can get into the word on a daily basis. Something happens when all of us as a church family are reading the same scripture, praying the same scripture. Something happens in momentum in us and around us as a church family, as young people, as older people, all seek the Lord together and then set our lives. Can you imagine the power of the word of God and our lives being set upon Christ every day? I mean, Topeka would be a different place if just Fellowship Bible Church sought the Lord each day and and set our lives on Christ each day. 
Well, Paul is going to give us a practice. It's an all-encompassing practice here. It's found in verse 3 of this passage. He said, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what this, what this daily practice is, is the daily practice of dying to live. We've got to make that conscious choice to die in order to live, to die to the things of this world in order that we might live to the things that are above. Die to ourselves and our own agenda, our own little, you know, dream, the American dream, whatever it is, so that we might live for something greater than ourselves. Just before you give me pushback on this concept, I want you to realize you don't have to believe in God for you to understand this principle. Anytime you choose to love someone, you make this conscious or unconscious choice to die to yourself in order to live more for that person. Case in point, if you still don't agree with me, have a baby. <laughs> I mean, you wake up and your life is totally changed. That child wakes up at three in the morning, at five in the morning, at seven in the morning, and you get no sleep. What do you do when that baby cries in the middle of the night? Do you go, ah, maybe the neighbor will get him. Oh, you wish, but that doesn't happen. The baby needs you and you love that baby. I'll tell you, I never at once, when the kids were handed to me, I have three boys, when the doctor handed me each one of those boys, I never went, ah, take him back. Ah, he's going to mess up the car when he's 16. No, I loved him. I loved him. I didn't have to fall in love with my kids and neither did you. You just loved them from the second they were given to you. And you know what? You make sacrifices. All of us in this room are here because people made sacrifices. They died to themselves in order that we could live better. And your daily walk with Christ, if you're going to love Jesus, with this, which the scriptures call us into, we've got to be willing to die to ourselves in order to have Christ live in and through us. That's what the scriptures are calling us. And you can view Christ in one of two ways. One way is this. Jesus was a really nice and loving man. And he confronted bad people and he confronted social injustices in our world. He was loving and accepting of everyone and never called them away from their sin and brokenness. He never asked any response from him, from anyone. He's only here to make our wildest dreams of wealth and health and sex and pleasure and happiness come true. So just believe that Jesus exists. Ask him to help you make it through another day and to watch over you making good things happen to you and for you all your live long days. Now, we kind of laugh at that perspective, don't we? We kind of go, wow, that's really wanting to be, to have Jesus be our slave, to be our servant, where life is all about us. But before we jump too quickly into judgmental spirits, what's your prayer life look like? God, thanks for this great day. Give me a great day today. Help people to like me. Help me to be healthy and wealthy today. Give me this God. I need this God. And won't you help me just make it through another day? You know what? It can be all about us, can it? If we're not careful. And that's a life where our life is set rather than having Christ be set up in our lives. We've got to be willing to step down from ourselves in order that Christ could reign. See, the biblical daily practice that we're, calling, uh, we're being called into is come to the cross again. Look at the cross. Who died on that cross? Jesus did. Did he deserve to die on that cross? No. Who deserved to die? I did. That shows us our sin. It shows us our brokenness. It shows us our independence. 
And it shows us our need to have Jesus do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. Only Jesus could live a perfect life. Only Jesus could die on a cross and satisfy the righteous requirement of God. And only Jesus could raise from the dead and deliver us from the power of sin and death. So we realize that and we come to Christ and we trust him to do things for us that we can't do for ourselves. See, most of the religions around the world basically say you need to measure up. The righteousness that you need with God needs to come from you. You need to be good. You need to go to church. You need to give in the offering. You need to be involved in ministry. And if all you do all those things, then some way your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds and you'll get in. And the Bible says, no, no, it's not about what you're doing. It's all about what was done. And we all have to come to the cross and submit to that in our lives. I have to stop trying and start trusting in Jesus. That's the beginning of the gospel taking root in each of our lives. But once the gospel has taken root and we trusted Christ, then we put Christ, we set him up. We don't go, hey, thanks for the ticket out of hell card. See you when I die. A lot of people do that. We check the box, got the faith thing worked out. But really, what Jesus really came to do, in addition to saving our souls, is he came to give us us new life. And to do that, we have to die to our own agenda. It's not you and Jesus. It's Jesus with you following him. And so we all have to lay things down. Now, Paul is going to show us what do we die to and what do we live for. And I think it's really good because just keep in the back of your mind as we're talking to this. If God is going to call us away from things, he's going to provide something even greater and better for us. And we may not fully understand that when he calls us away. And we may not fully appreciate that when he calls us away. But. Everyone knows when they follow Christ, it's for their best. And over time, as you practice seeking and setting your life on Christ, guess what? It's going to be easier to die to yourself in order to live more to God. So let's look at the ways that Paul calls us to die to ourselves. First one is in verse five. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And then he lists it. Look at this. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And boy, did the church in Colossae know this. They knew about temple prostitution, which... Uh, archaeologists have found in that area of uh, evidence of where you would come in, you would hook up with a prostitute and it would be in a temple to the gods. And so you could have this religious experience, which also gave you incredible sexual satisfaction for a moment. And Jesus called them away from prostitution. He called them away from that. And so it was a huge difference. They had to put to death what was in them. They had to die to the corruption of the world in themselves and from them. Now, look at some of the things that he calls them away from sexual immorality. And this is kind of an interesting circle that Paul is kind of crafting for us. Because sex is a gift that God has given us. But due to the results of sin, we have we have broken it. It's. It's not been, it's not being exercised in this world as, as it ought. 
And so there's a lot of immorality in this area. And these words that are kind of connected to it, impurity, those are your thoughts, um, passions, your impulses, desires, evil desires. That means showing up to in the area of sex to what you can get, not what you can give. And even covetousness, looking outside of the relationship God has provided you for someone else because you're... You're not content with what God has provided to you. And, and the scriptures are calling us. Boy, this is an area the church has, likes to call out and goes, well, this, these sins are sexual immorality. And so we like to throw stones at homosexuals. But at the same time, we're all struggling with porn or with fornication, sex before marriage or with lusting in your mind. Folks, the scriptures say we all have garbage on this one. We're all broken. And when you have Jesus, it's not about comparing your life with someone else's. It's realizing your brokenness and bringing yourself to him and submitting your life to him. Our culture calls you, you this, uh, it defines you by your sexual identity. Jesus defines you by your spiritual identity. We cannot get lost in this culture in this area. We've got to put to death that our primary identity is spiritual. So we've got to die to the corruption of the world in us. But also we have to die to the corruption of the world from us. And Paul's going to address that in verse 8. Look at what he says. But now you must put them all away. Anger. Look at this list. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Let's just pause there. Look at what's earthly from us. And each one of these sins have kind of a practice, a daily practice, as it's shown and borne out through each of us. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from our mouths. You know, venting to others, taking revenge on others, acts of of wanting the worst for people, speaking the worst of people, degrading people whom God created for good, degrading them down to objects. Now think about this. Think about that. Each one of these have practices. Think about anger. How do you express anger? Some of us go, I just let her have it. I just vent. And then it's over and I feel good about myself. Really? How's that working for you? Because usually there's tons of people who are hurt by a person who vents. I was driving and I accidentally cut in front of someone and look out. It wasn't in Topeka because we would never do that here. But this was in another state, in another city two weeks ago. And look out, spitting, you know, flipping me off. I was dying then. What do you do when that happens to you? You know, I just, I looked at him and I thankfully the spirit was winning that day. And I just went, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that still didn't calm him. Right in front of his family. He let me, he even cursed my lineage, you know. How do you show that? Some of you don't. Some of you don't vent like that. You just go to silence and you withhold love and you just go, I'm not going to talk to you because you cheated me bad. You know, how's the silent treatment working for you? Well, it's just just fine. I don't vent like the scriptures here in anger. You know, we can do that. But in reality, to be a spouse on the other side of the silent treatment, no nudge zone here. Okay. To be a spouse is to, to have love withheld from you. 
So we're called into people who are practicing getting rid of anger and wrath, revenge. Man, when someone messes with you, I mean, I remember when a guy in my office just said, that's how I roll. Someone does something bad to me, I do something bad back to them. That's just who I am. I said, exactly. That's how we all are. But normal's not godly. And you're not called just to repeat the pattern that you were given. Some of us, we had parents who taught us how to do this. Some of us just picked it up on, on the streets. But we all come to Jesus. And we lay down the brokenness of our lives. And we trust him to redeem us, to restore us, to make us more like Christ. As Paul says, and, and, you, you've, and we've put on the new, verse 10, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I love this passage. That's what it's all about. He's in you. And if you have Jesus in you, then he should be in everything in your lives. We can't compartmentalize our lives. We can do that. It's not godly, but it's very normal to treat life like a waffle. When syrup hits it, it just, you know, compartmentalizes. Okay. And that's where Jesus, I have my Jesus square and he fills that. But the rest of my life is fair game. No, we're more like pancakes, right? We got to let Jesus flow into everything. I'm sorry for being corny there, but that's just the picture. That's the picture. I love this phrase, though, in this passage, where that we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. How many of you love Antique Roadshow? I love that. It's on PBS, and I'll watch it. Um, and it's usually, uh, I love when they go up to the Northeast because we've settled there the longest in the U.S. And some guy brings a, a, a chest of drawers and he puts it down in front of, uh, front of them and you see this and uh, it's usually a reserved, you know, Boston guy. Hello, how are you doing? It's, 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 uh, so he goes, yes, I got this from my grandmother and it was... Uh, it's a beautiful piece. I've just been stacking things on it, but I bought it in to see what it's worth. And then you see, you know, what are you thinking when you see this? How much is it worth? And the expert comes and he goes, oh my, this is a very interesting piece. Uh, due to this working and how they've carved it here, that's very indicative of the early 18th century. And you see the man just go, hmm, that's nice. And then he goes, and look at these. Look at all the, the patina of the cover. It's beautiful. I've never seen a piece like this. And what did you do with it? Well, I've just been stacking things on it. To, uh, but I thought I'd bring it in. And the guy goes, well, in this condition, this piece, this piece of work would be worth around $600,000. And the guy goes, hmm. And after $600,000, the little bell goes off. Bing. And all around America, you just see people going, wow, there's a masterpiece in his house. He was just stacking things on it. But the antique roadshow with the expert told what its true value is. That's what a life with Christ is all about. He's our expert who's crafted and formed us and goes, do you realize why you have a desire for sex? That's a gift God gave you and he created you with this. This is how it's used best. Did you ever view yourself as a priceless creation 
of the God of the universe. That's how I crafted and made you. I know this world doesn't give you much value. I know this world reduces you down to this. But this is how God sees you. That's what a life with Christ does. And how do you see this? Will you allow the expert to come into your life and to give you the truth about who you are and to call you to character? That's why when we die to those things that corrupt us, we have to live the character of Christ. That's what we're called into. Look at how Paul addresses character in, in the area of compassion. It says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now just compare those words with the words he used earlier. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Which one do you want to live? Which one does the most damage in your life? Which one degrades people and and people who are crafted and created in the image of God? Which ones reduce anger, rage, malice? Which one lifts people up while patience, meekness? Which ones have you received through Christ? Have you received the anger and rage and malice and wrath of God? (laughs) No, you've received the compassion of God. You've received the grace of God. You've received, he got us far more patient with us than, than we deserve. And I love how the literal Greek brings it up. Take on the splachna. It's a little, isn't that a great word? Try to use it in Scrabble sometime. It may not work, but it's, it literally means your guts of compassion. And boy, isn't that what happens in us? Your stomach starts churning when you get angry. When you've been hurt and frustrated and you lose sleep, what's churning? What's not? What's working over your stomach is? And Paul is saying, take on the splachna, the guts of your life. May it show compassion and patience and meekness. Being reserved when you want to go haywire. Reserve your words for better words. Live people of compassion. And, And then... Live the character of Christ in times of conflict. How do you do that? With love. In times of conflict, look at this. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Let's work our way back. You've received, if you have Christ, you receive the forgiveness of Christ, of God. And so therefore, uh, we... Since we have this forgiveness and it's nothing related to our good works or our performance or our backgrounds or our position in life or income or anything like that. It's only because of the grace of God. And we don't deserve it. How ought we to forgive others like Jesus? Jesus teaches us how to forgive people we don't want to forgive and we don't even know how to forgive. Jesus teaches us how. Look at some of the things he says here. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving them. You know, there's this thought, there's this thought in authentic circles that if someone has offended you, go to them and let them have it. Vent and and let them know how much they hurt you and how much you were wounded and how much you were frustrated. And and then then wait wait for the apology. But here what it's saying, even before you go and talk to them, set them free of your wrath and anger. See, when I have set people free before I've even talked to them, 
And I've not assumed a motive in what they did. And I've thought the best about them rather than the worst, which is usually my default. When I lay down the weapons and I show up having already forgiven them as Christ has forgiven me, guess what? We can actually talk. I'm not looking for how I can jab them or how I can win the argument. I'm not looking how I will be superior at the end and they will grovel on their knees begging for my forgiveness. It's already been done. So when you show up, guess what you can give? Love. That's exactly what Paul calls us into. And, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that's the whole picture. The motivation of love is not what you can get but what you can give. That biblical truth of Christ giving himself for me has totally changed the way I love my wife. It's totally changed the way I love my children. It's totally changed the way I love my friends and my church family. But I can only do it when I'm following, when I'm putting on the character of Christ in times of conflict. Thirdly, we're called out to, to live the character of Christ in times of contentment and to be content with Christ. Look at 15, verse 15. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are indeed, uh, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Here it is. Let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. You know, discontentment destroys thankfulness and thankfulness erodes peace. And so... Um, we need to be people who in a world that basically has never had more material possessions or more choices or more opportunities or more capacities, but yet still finds ourselves discontent and dissatisfied when we have Christ. We need to be so satisfied in Christ that we're willing in a, in a, 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 a spirit of thankfulness to thank him for everything we have. And you know what the result's going to be? Peace. Peace in our lives. And so we got to let the peace of Christ rule in us. Finally, Paul talks about living the character of Christ in times of, com- in, in, in community with your body of believers called the local church. Look at 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Boy, it would be easy to look at this passage and go, okay, just disconnect from everything with people around it and pursue. It's just you and God, me and my relationship with God. I'm called to be a spiritual hermit and go lock yourself away in a monastery so that you can seek Christ and set your life on Christ. You just take away the world. You won't have any problems anymore and you can really do this. But you know what God is calling us to do? He's calling us to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the world, but at the same time we're in the world, to be seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated. So we're called to live in community. And community is hard. It's messy. It's messy. I know all of us look really healthy and really, you know, like everything's going well in our lives because we can all dress up the, the uh, outside and hide the inside But the reality is, is we all have a brokenness. We all need this. We all have to, are constantly being reformed and transformed into the person of Christ. We do this in community. Look at some of the elements of biblical community. The word of God being preached. 
that it would dwell here richly, that there wouldn't be spatterings of the word. We would teach the whole counsel of God in an environment like this. That's why we spend most of our time talking in God's word so that it would dwell richly in us. But we're also called to do it together so that we'd look around and we'd see each other and we'd see uh, grandpa following Christ and we see a 12-year-old following Christ in our midst. We're sharpened by that so that we can encourage one another. That's why we're called into a small group of people called a small group where you can grow in your understanding. You can ask questions. You can articulate your faith in those environments. So you're never alone, never isolated, never vulnerable apart from your church family. We call you into environments like that. But then we're also called to sing. And boy, singing's personal, isn't it? If you don't believe me, go into an elevator when the door's shut, just start singing. People will go, whoa, this is too much vulnerability. They're singing in this environment. Yeah, something about singing. Even if you don't have a good voice, it's vulnerable to lift up and worship God. And that's why we turn the music up a little bit so no one has to hear you, okay? But we, we sing, we sing to the Lord. And here, it's not just the psalter of hymns or psalms, but it's hymns and spiritual songs. Paul, Paul opens up the grid, sing to the Lord. And I know it's easy for some of us if we grew up with just some type of songs that we don't like the spiritual songs of today. Some of us believe that God's creative juices ended with Martin Luther when he died in music. Others of us believe that God's creative juices just started with the birth of Chris Tomlin. And that both are, both are wrong. Both are not biblical. God uses a variety. There's no such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. Do you hear that? I know some of you hate techno music, but it can actually be used for worship. I hope we never try it here, but we, it, <laughs> it can be used. It can be used. And you know what? Nothing has separated the evangelical church in America more than music. Nothing. Some of you came from some of those battles. And some of you bring darts into those battles here. And you know, those of us who are most mature, I honestly believe need to be most tolerant in this area. When you get together with a family reunion, what do you do? Grandma sings songs she likes. Little five-year-old Jessica sings songs she likes. Adolescents bring their music to the scene. You know what? We celebrate music together and this is a family reunion. So we're not going to just choose songs that were written in the Reformation. And we're not going to deny songs that were written in the Reformation to sing songs that were written last year. We're going to use all of them. And each of our services look the same in worship so that we're not just creating little segments of music lovers throughout our church. So we do this all to join together, to live in community and to be better, to be better. And, and let me just say this. Music is something outside in this world that means something, especially to a younger generation. And there's nothing better that I love than looking down the row when I'm worshiping with my family and to see my children worshiping the Lord. Nothing. And I know there could be some songs I like that my kids don't like, and my kids wouldn't sing on those songs, but especially grandparents here. Don't you long for your grandchildren to be worshiping the Lord in a, in a community of believers? Think about those environments where they would sing the most. 
You want to create that place where your, your grandchildren are expressing their hearts before the Lord. But then it's not just what happens in this place that we're called to. Look at what it says in verse 17. It says, and then whatever you do, catch that word, whatever, <laughs> whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow. I mean, he kind of just blows it out of the park when, when he goes, whatever you do, not just inside the church, but outside the church. Go and live this. Whatever you say, whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. You represent him. When your life is set on him, yes, you die to these things, but you live for him and you reflect him in all that you do. This is the daily grid for practical thoughts, practical decisions, practical plans and actions and your words. So church, keep seeking Christ. Church, keep setting your lives on Christ. Die to live. Die to the things that corrupt you. Live the character of Christ. It's going to be personal. It's going to be practical. It's going to be authentic when faith is lived out. Here's what I want to do just in our closing time. Just if everyone would just bow in a spirit of reflection and prayer. Is there anything as we talked about dying to things that corrupt us? Is there anything listed in this passage or something the Holy Spirit brought to mind that you need to die to? Would you just confess that to to the Lord right now? Lord, I need to die to this angle of my life. I need to die to selfishness. I, I need to die to the way I, I, I express anger. I need to die to sexual immorality. Things you've called wrong that I've accepted into my life. I, I want to die to those things. Just name it right now to the Lord. As you've done that, let me just pray. Lord, You are pleased when your children are honest with you, when we call it the way you see it in our lives. And so you take great pleasure. You rejoice when we confess. You've seen it all along and now we see it as you see it. And so, Lord, we've confessed. So therefore, we thank you for your faithfulness and your justice to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, is there something that you've seen here that you need to live more for? Maybe it's a greater heart of compassion to others who've hurt you. Maybe it's a greater picture of love, especially when you go through conflict. Maybe it's a greater appreciation for things God has already given you in Christ. And to be more content. Maybe it's... You've been skeptical of, of community in the church. And, and you need, but you know you need more of that. Would you ask God for more of what he calls us into? More of his character, character trait. Just call it out. Lord, I need more of this. And Heavenly Father, I also thank you for a willing, a willing family here. Your sons and daughters called by Christ to live your character. Lord, I pray that you would grant far more, even than they understand, even more than they know what they're asking. Lord, we want to lift up our hearts so that we would live for something greater than ourselves, greater than this world. Move in your church 
Give us a greater appetite for you than we would for anything else in this world. And may the name of Jesus be praised. It's in his name we pray. Amen.